Here at Physio Matters, we think physio matters. Become a member today and access hundreds of hours of videos from across the MSK world. Access at home, work or on the bus to take your knowledge into the stratosphere. Physio-matters.com. More content than you can shake a patella hammer at. Here with Ben Owen Matthew uh, at Therapy Expo. Delighted to just grab him for some ad hoc content. Uh, you'll have seen Ben Owen at Therapy Live and has spoken on a number of different topics and a prolific educator, very keen on the pragmatic application of various different things, both in terms of assessment, namely, and known for his working in around hip and groin, but elsewhere as well as course. And then also we're going to get into a little bit later about, say, treatment modalities, namely shockwave and some of the misconceptions that have occurred from that can, that can sometimes overly discredit a, mo- uh, a modality, which is, which is clumsy. So, Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, first thanks for having me. Yeah. So firstly, I want to get into, I want to get into to, to hip really, because I've never really understood or known about your answer to why why the hip and why the groin, and then tell us about how the book came about. Yeah, I think for me, it, when I started uh, in Royal Limb, uh, it was way back, I think 12 years, uh, I was sort of stuck with this sort of a lot of chronic cases who have been diagnosed with adductor strain. Um, we were not getting better, so it was sort of a challenging area, and I couldn't really find uh, much about it. So it sort of really got into my sort of interest. Uh, spent a lot of time observing uh, clinicians, orthopedic surgeons. Uh, spent a bit of time with Johan Witt, where I spent at UCL. So it really opened up my interest in that in that area, and it was getting good results. And I find it's really a difficult area unless you've done a lot of mileage. Uh, and I think it took me a good three to five years to get my head around it. And obviously people said like, you know, I get a lot of second and third opinion um, and sort of, uh, there's no like a method of anything. It's just, I'm always trying to improve how to get better because my initial focus was on impingement. Then I focused more on the dysplasia. Now my current interest is on the posterior hip, like the deep gluteal syndrome. So the, the beauty of hip is there's always something coming up in the, every two, three years, you know, right, you yeah. think you've nailed the osteoarthritis impingement. There's a next, there's a new kid on the block, you know, so there's a lot more pathologies coming out of the woodworks. Uh, which means you're not really getting bored. So one thing I would say is, if you are a new grad physio, uh, there's a lot of good work on shoulders, and, uh, knees, you know, and back. Uh, hip is a really exciting area. We need more <laughs> more physios to get that sort of expertise because we can offer a lot more, and you're not going to be saturated. Because I think uh, the hip research, I would say, is at least 20, 20 years behind ACL. So a lot more right, we need to learn okay. on that. So Fair a lot play. of area. And how did the book come about? And how yeah. did you how do you even go about putting a project like that together? I mean, he, you know me to know I have some ambitious projects, <laughs> but I've never had to sort of coordinate a textbook. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's, it's a product of COVID uh, time, and one of the right. Caesar was uh, doing a bit of work on um, uh, on the stuff with Jeremy and I did uh, even in Spain a couple of years ago um, and one of the uh, uh, authors of the book attended my course and maybe he was impressed the way I, I have a pragmatic way of putting the evidence okay. uh, so the main aim of the book was not another academic book which is going to be on the shelf so the main thing is okay you're in a clinic and you got a patient with hip dysplasia you just want a simple I wouldn't want to use the word recipe but like a framework you know sure. okay what should I assess what are the tests what's my key exercises so we want something which is all in one place because there's been so much research so I you know when they first approached me I felt like I'm not really qualified you know I'm not uh, you know in academia you know uh, I'm not got PhDs and other things but they said that's not the point of the book the point was 
uh, having a useful guide for a clinician. Right. So somebody comes with a patellar tendon or, uh, you know, uh, hip or knee pathology or patellar foot, you have a sort of a framework, especially for a junior clinician, and then they can go and read the original articles because, you know, we hate giving recipes, but at the same time, you have to start somewhere, isn't it? Mm. You need to know what are the keys. So I think that was came, and I felt more comfortable in writing on that because that's what I teach on my courses. So, and then obviously it's not my book. I'm just, you know, one of the editors I brought to with Caesar and, uh, you know, I work with Carol from the States. So we're really lucky to get, you know, from Rich Wiley to Jill Cook to Ebenezer, you know, all the experts in the world. Uh, I've contributed on the hip side. Um, so it's sort of, we brought together and something like more like a clinical reference book. So okay. it's a book you want to be using all the time. So somebody comes with a specific pathology, you open up the chapter. It's not to be meant to be read uh, continuously. So you can, just, <laughs> yeah. you can just dive in, have a look. Okay, that's the framework. I'm going to make my own decision based on the expert knowledge. Because in three to five years, like most things, will get outdated, as you know, with the book, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and we will put links into to, yeah. to that to, yeah. to get your hands on a copy. I've heard great things. And as a clinical friend, yeah. uh, we know that those are popular reference guides. And yeah. it's really great, as, as you say, that we don't we don't overindulge the academic mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes think that the, the raw literature is the only way forward. Mm -hmm. But similarly, we, we don't want to just rely on really disparate, say, podcasts or blogs or, mm -hmm. or tweets to, to, to reference best practice. We, yeah. So bringing that together is great and well done with that as, yeah, a, thanks, as a project and the most people like I enjoy reading I you know I love reading articles I read while I'm trying but to be honest most people don't you know they don't want to do that they don't have no. time so they're looking at some sort of a, a framework where they can sort of start their own pathway yeah. and then get it from there so one of the things I wanted to sort of pivot as to is is certainly um, shockwave something that you've taught on for a long time I admitted to you yesterday that um, I was what would be considered in, in, in this you know, this day and age the way that the evidence has gone I'm a late adopter to it uh, but in gen generally it's something that I can see increasingly its place mm. um, and then it was interesting for you to say that yesterday and forgive me if, if I'm putting words in your mouth course, feel yeah. free to correct me but you were saying that you can then see some of the ways in which the industry hasn't necessarily countered some of the uh, I won't say malpractice but poor practices that mean that it makes it sh gets a bad light shone on it so mm. it's been quite an interesting thing on our journey over the last few years okay. so firstly your, your thoughts on where the, the common mistakes that you see with application of shockwave and and how do we mitigate those without being nihilistic about the modality yeah so I think like with any any effective intervention there's a, that potential of giving harm so if it's going to not have any one of the misconceptions I see is uh, being published that there's no side effects I see that it's happened to a couple of my own patients where you get bruising uh, where I've been too ambitious and gone so just to list list down uh, what are the key things where I feel you know it can be too aggressive one is you know it's not a massage tool you know somebody comes with a tight calf or you're not something you're going to jump in as a pure modality it's got a very specific indication and number one it has to be chronic so if you're dealing with pure tendinopathy ideally you want a patient who had it for more than three months and it's more stable and it's not the first line of treatment so it's always something when you have failed uh, a significant amount of time where you've sort of done your uh, normal first line of practice and they're not improving but they're stuck there and you need to kickstart the healing and it's a pro-inflammatory process so ideally you would you don't want to give to a patient who's already in a flare-up phase so that is usually the number one cause of flare-up you're giving a pro-inflammatory stimulus to already who's in a lot of pain so ideally a patient who don't, I want to give chakra is somebody whose pain is sort of below five or six out of ten no night pain no limping no swelling they're pretty more like an ache where they're you know they're 
struggling to get rid of that sort of thing. So that's number one. And number two is it should always be combined with good quality rehab. It's not an isolated treatment. So uh, a common line I is a bit of a cliche line I say with my, my courses when a patient comes when I give shockwave I say three plus twelve or five plus twelve. What that means is three sessions of shockwave once a week plus twelve weeks of loading protocol. If you don't buy the package, I will not give you the shockwave. You know, mm. it's sort of it's the package. It's not like you can have three weeks of shockwave and then you can go and do the marathon. It's not going to happen. No. So that's why I never give uh, before an event. So it's it's educating them that it's a part of the multimodal intervention. It kickstarts your healing process. It has a pain modulation effect. But to improve capacity and to improve function in an especially in tendon, the only way you can do that is progressive loading and get back. So I think a lot of my patients are a bit disappointed when they come to me for the shockwave because they expect everything will be done in two three weeks. And I tell it actually takes four months for five months. Uh, for you to get back so I think that's the key thing is putting them as a part of a package uh, and also being mindful like uh, I also mentioned that you can get skin discoloration some uh, short term skin adverse effects uh, and I, this is an anecdotal thing maybe somebody needs to publish this I find with G a lot of GTP patients when I give a shockwave uh, sometimes once a week is not enough for a gap uh, they're still a bit bruised so I sometimes give them 10 or 14 days right, I tend okay. to do that with GTP I find if you cram them too close they just make them more sore maybe they're more irritable so many of those patients I might only see them once in two weeks do you think it's the proximity to the versa do you think it's dead superficial like what, right, yeah, yeah I think that they are really irritable and maybe when I compare an Achilles rehab and a right. GTPS it's yeah. a bit more slower yeah. so you, you if somebody says it's once a week it's just a guidance uh, give you on the other side of the spectrum when I'm dealing a patella tendon like in a young active 22 year old like a jumper or like a runner I might give them shockwave once in five days uh, because they can tolerate it. Yeah. The patella tendon can tolerate that. Yeah. And they're fine. So as long as they're back to normal. So I say to a patient, the, the symptoms should be back to normal and you should not be sore from the free treatment. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of subtleties than just, uh, I saw a tweet, a tweet like even a monkey can give a shocker. Yeah, but, but a monkey can't give it rightly, you know. For <laughs> well, uh, and also, it's, it's also then, if, you, if, you're, if it's just a technical administration that's yeah. not nested in a clinically reasoned plan, yeah. that is, people are earning, I often describe it to them as, you're, you're kind of earning the, the shockwave treatment by being progressive with your loading, your weight-bearing parameters, looking at those bigger picture factors, is that this, you know, you're, you're only you're only wasting your own time and, and, and money to invest in this if you're not going to then put it into the right context that can get the dosage right. Yeah. We talk about dosage of shockwave is kind of obvious on the parameters, but there's a dosage of loading that we need to think about uh, when getting people to, to getting people with plantar fascia problems to do less of their sort of uh, weight bearing rehab when they happen to have been on their feet more of the days. Just getting them to think about dosage beyond just the parameters on a machine yeah. is really useful. One of the things we talked about briefly as well that I want to just bring in is that when people will sometimes make claims from shockwave where there's evidence of effectiveness say of a particular pathology or even body part mm. that they're over extrapolating so it's, I've got good evidence on plantar fascia and, and Achilles mm. Yet and, and therefore I will treat this facet joint pain the same. It's like no, oh, hold on, no. steady on. Yeah, there's big variation on the outcome. So general, the first line when I say when I start my courses is there's more evidence for lower limb, and I find from my own clinical practice it's really good for your chronic Achilles and plantar fascia. It's, it's pretty much you know disputable for tennis elbow, uh, and only a small subgroup of shoulder, which is the calcified tendinopathy. So it mm. seems the upper limb doesn't lend well. Maybe is it because it's not weight bearing, or maybe is it a different type of rehab? All tendons are similar, but they have their own parameters. So generally, uh, if you're starting with shocker, you'll find your success is much better with the lower limb chronic cases than with upper limb. So if you got like, if you're an upper limb physio, you might not really need shockwave because it might not add much to it. But if you're a running 
a specialist physio or a foot and ankle or lower limb physio, you'll gain a lot from that. So we can't extrapolate from one area, whereas some areas you can be a bit more stubborn, some yeah. areas don't respond. So there's a big variation on the evidence on each uh, area of the body. Uh, and it doesn't work equally. That it could be the same true for uh, injection, for example. Works really well for stage one frozen shoulder. Not so great for a recurrent knee, uh, like knee OA or patellar tendon. So you can't say injection doesn't work. Exactly. You know? Fewer blanket statements and we're all going to be a, a bit, bit less in the dark. That, that seems seems smart. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Tell people briefly as to where they can find more about you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all over on social media. So the best place is Twitter. Uh, Function Fitness. I'm also on Instagram. So uh, uh, And the book details, I'll, it'll be great if you could share it handspring um, absolutely limited. we'll and get those links that. attached to this podcast thanks again for yeah. your time really yeah. appreciate thanks, it thanks Jack for having me bye